Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Beyond Markets podcast. My name is Helen. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich, and I have the pleasure of talking today to Tim Gege, our head of FX and precious metals solutions in Geneva. Hi, Tim, and thanks very much for taking the time for this podcast today. Hi, Helen. Thanks very much for having me. So in the next few minutes, we're going to talk about currency markets, how they work and what factors investors need to consider in order to navigate FX markets well. So the foreign exchange market is where different currencies are bought and sold. So one currency is exchanged for another. The reasons for doing this are usually tourism, commerce or for trading purposes. The transactions all happen through computer networks across the world, and the market is open 24 hours a day, five days a week. And with trading happening across all time zones, the FX market is very active and price quotes are changing constantly. This must make it difficult as an investor to keep up with what's happening. And I guess also for you and your role, Tim, I'm assuming you also need to sleep at night. So how do you manage to keep on top of all the latest developments in FX markets? Gordon Gecko said money never sleeps, but I certainly need to. FX, however, is indeed around the clock activity, very fast moving and a surprise can happen at any time, day or night. So you need to work as a team. Here at Julius Bear, we are able to provide a 24 hour a day service, not on the weekend, obviously, with the help of our night shift team in Zurich for the European evening session and our friends in Singapore for anything that happens overnight. So as far as news and developments, you do become very efficient at filtering out what will and will not be important. Well, what you guess will not be important. But the main thing is to share information across the teams and all work together. Let's talk about some of the specific events or factors that impact exchange rates then. Firstly, with the tragic war in Ukraine that we've all been following, I would expect safe haven currencies. So I'm thinking of the US dollar, the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen to have done well, at least initially. Is this what actually happened? You absolutely would expect that. And that is partly what happened. The US dollar was certainly the top performing major currency since the war began. It found demand early on. And that demand was also driven by interest rate expectations, although we will talk a bit more about that later. The Swiss franc held its value pretty well overall, but the yen was a disaster. At no point did we see any demand for the yen whatsoever, just purely very aggressive selling, regardless of what equities were doing. And that was both surprising and actually very interesting for us. And so currencies definitely reacted to the news when the war first broke out. But was this short-lived or have there been any lasting consequences of the war on particular currencies? It really depends on the currency. The US dollar, for example, has been absolutely rock solid all the way through. While gold, for example, which we look at as a currency, although it's also obviously a metal, saw an initial major surge higher, came off again, and since late April has really underperformed. On the other side, the Russian ruble was initially absolutely battered, almost halving in value. But this weakness was really quite short-lived. And it has since returned to levels that are not just pre-war levels in the ruble, but pre-COVID, which is quite simply remarkable. 
So why do you think the ruble has been so strong? Well, that is a great follow-up question, which is another way of saying that I am really not entirely sure. The initial recovery after the huge sell-off made sense, because even with the sanctions, the Russian economy was not immediately going to fall over. And indeed, we saw what we thought would be a correction from about 120, 120 rubles a dollar, back to around 80. However, from 80 to 55, which is another 30%, that was quite unexpected. So I suppose it shows the belief that despite the sanctions, Russia will continue to have sufficient energy revenue, especially considering how high the price of oil continues to be. What about inflation? We've been hearing about record high inflation rates in many countries. What does this mean for currencies? Or if inflation is everywhere, does it not really make any difference? It does make a difference. I never really believed that inflation was transitory anyway. That always seemed to me to be a convenient way of kicking the can down the road until it was time to act, at which point inflation would magically no longer be transitory. And sure enough, that is what we saw. Inflation itself is in theory negative for a currency. We have seen this quite dramatically in Turkey, for example. But what really counts is the monetary policy reaction, which is why the Turkish lira is so weak while the dollar is so strong. Right. And we're in an environment now where interest rates are rising. In fact, this is the fastest phase of monetary policy tightening on record. In the US, the Federal Reserve raised rates by half a percentage point in May and then raised by a further three quarters of a percent in June. What impact does this have? Exchange rates will move depending on the pace at which the central banks around the world raise rates. Is that right? Exactly. In theory, the key number is the difference between inflation and interest rates, also known as real yield. However, currencies are valued against each other, meaning that the absolute level of interest rates does also matter. Inflation in the US, the UK and the Eurozone is at a similarly elevated level. But as you pointed out, the Fed is moving the fastest. So even though real yields in the US are still deeply negative, the dollar sees demand. The euro is low against the dollar, because investors do not yet believe in the European Central Bank's ability to react sufficiently quickly to rising inflation, meaning that the interest rate differential between dollars and euros will stay high in favour of the dollar and, if anything, will actually increase. Okay, so in general then, we would expect currencies of countries where interest rates are rising relative to other countries to appreciate, because it's about the interest rate differential. Are there any other consequences of an environment where rates are generally rising? Well, the secondary impact of rate rises is recession if those rate rises move too fast for growth. So, while a higher rate of interest is positive for a country's currency, at the point that recession indicators start to show themselves, investors may start to sell that currency again, anticipating that the central bank will be forced to change direction into an easing monetary policy to avoid a deeper and longer-lasting recession. That is for further down the road, although what is not very clear at the moment is how much further down the road, because these things often turn quicker than what we realise. And just a quick question on the impact of economic data on currencies. You know when we get things like US non-farm payroll figures or GDP or retail sales data, for example, do currencies really react to these numbers? And is it not all very short-lived if they do? Well, you will notice a bit of a theme in this podcast, Helen, apart from currencies, of course, and that is central banks. Data is important insofar as it influences central bank policy. 
if a data release is different to expectations, and therefore the market feels that could lead to a more hawkish or tightening central bank or a more dovish or easing central bank, then the currency market may react. As you rightly say, this impact tends to be short-lived and quickly absorbed by the market. And a lot of that initial activity is actually triggered by algorithmic trading or algos. And algorithms are like a complicated set of rules based on which systems would automatically buy or sell a currency, depending on data that is released, for example. Is that correct? Well, you're speaking to somebody with a bachelor's degree in modern languages. So the simple answer is yes, Helen, that is correct. <laughs> what is important to know about algos is that they have an interesting effect on liquidity and not always a positive one. In the olden days, liquidity was provided by real people. Real traders were market makers. And they knew how to react when the market came under stress because they'd seen these things before. As algos became more widespread, a lot of the real human market makers were pushed out as they could not compete under normal conditions with the instantaneous trading. However, when the market comes under stress, such as when the Swiss National Bank removed the floor, Brexit or some of the uh, times during the Ukraine and indeed COVID situations, a lot of these algos simply shut off. The liquidity that they were providing dries up when you most need it. And there are no longer enough human market makers in the market to compensate. So when you have major shocks, the market moves nowadays are actually amplified by the lack of liquidity, despite what on the face of it is the most liquid and highly traded market in the world. We've been discussing a lot of different factors that can impact currencies then, and a lot of these are fairly unpredictable, I'd say. So is it sensible then for investors to hedge their portfolios? It is definitely sensible for investors to consider hedging their portfolios and to make an informed decision. There is not really a right answer as to whether hedging is a good idea or not. Each investor needs to weigh up the benefit of peace of mind by eliminating currency risk against the costs of doing so and the opportunity cost if the currency move is actually in the investor's favour. Some investors prefer to always hedge, some prefer to partially hedge, and some prefer not to hedge at all. Okay, so to remove the risk of unexpected currency moves then, investors can consider a hedging strategy because the impact of currency moves on the performance of a portfolio can be significant over time. The impact could be positive or negative though, and the key thing really is to have considered the impact currency movements might have on your portfolio. Think about if you prefer the security of hedging or if you're okay with currency market fluctuations over time. And then just to be at peace with your decision, whether you decide to hedge or not. Would you agree with that or anything to add? That is an excellent summary, Helen. Maybe you should come and work with us. I would just underline that the most important thing is to make an informed decision, as I said. There is really no right answer to the question of to hedge or not to hedge. But you never want to be surprised, either by the outcome of not hedging, or indeed the outcome of hedging without really knowing what will happen. So take the time to discuss it before you decide so you understand the mechanics and the range of positive and negative outcomes. Also, always remember to look at a hedge in a portfolio context. It is not right to say, I sold dollars to hedge my portfolio and now I've lost 5%. That 5% is offset in the underlying portfolio. So it is an opportunity cost. It might be a very painful opportunity cost, but nonetheless, that's what it is. And these things are only ever clear in hindsight anyway. So always know what it is you're doing when you enter into a hedge or when you don't enter into a hedge. Great. Thank you very much, Tim. It's been very interesting to talk to you today. Thanks very much to you too, Helen. And that concludes this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. 
Thanks again to Tim for joining me today and thank you all for tuning in. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and that you will join us again soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.